The topic I'm going to be speaking on for this segment is silver, the canary in the gold mine. And it talks about the uh, silver as a leading indicator of the change in the basis. And we've heard this, to, I mean, just today, this morning, when the reports came in about the, um, the premiums being paid uh, on eBay, there was a difference between the premiums paid, the higher premiums were being paid on silver than on gold. All right? And it goes to the heart of the matter. And what is the heart of the matter? Well, the real heart of the matter in terms of the basis regarding gold and silver as opposed to grains, which is the traditional market in the basis, was that it, it's, 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 it's sensitive to different demands, all right? Grain is food. It grows yearly, people eat, the, the, the harvest comes in, it goes back, and, and they, they trade on that. I mean, and as the professors pointed out, it's a long-established thing, and it's, 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 almost, it's not counterintuitive to price but it's another basis of profitability for the people who are in the middle and trading it and it, they're looking for different indicators and it's the professor's uh, observation that this basis which is operating in the grain markets has some applicability to the to the to monetary metals gold and silver and it does and his observation that since they started having the on the comex in the futures market is that there's been a degradation there's been a a, a collapse you know the, the the base it's been going lower and lower and lower the contango is going lower and lower and lower and, and now we're at the point and, and Tom will bring this out where we're virtually in backwardization on silver all right never been here before we've been in backwardization before so we're going to examine why this is happening and the implications of it in my thoughts about it, what is driving this is almost subconscious. The, the movement since the 1960s towards a lower and lower cotango and towards, towards a backwardization. Oh, and we don't stop. We are going to be there, and we're not going to stop. And we are going to be there. When we cross that line, we can't tell yet, but we are certainly closer to today than we were yesterday afternoon. All right? And the, the thing that is driving the gold and silver towards backwardization is a different phenomena than, than what is happening in the grain market. And it goes back to m the money crisis that we're having now. There, there, is, a mon there is a monetary, I, you know, I used to think that the Professor Fekete should be a doctorate of monetary pathology. <laughs> that. That's really what he is, you know. And a very sophisticated one who's done graduate, and there was no one in the lab with him at the time. You know, was, uh, you know their cafeteria was real empty. You know, and they wouldn't give many graduate students <laughs> to do the work. But nonetheless, he did all of that work in it, and that's why we're here today. And um, what the situation is is that when they took gold, gold and silver out of the money, which started in England, blah blah, blah and I'll get into that later. It set in motion a process. All right, and it's astounding that it's lasted this long. Absolutely astounding, and it's astounding that we are here for its end and we are both those statements are true and they're both astounding and if you look at, at, at gold and silver what, what, what's the difference they're both monetary metals all right in, in truth the US de totally demonetized silver out when it stopped print doing silver coinage in 1965 and there was a very interesting uh, uh, thing that I just picked up from this morning's talk when it said that uh, when the professor said that silver was officially demonetized off the silver standard you know converted to the gold in, in 1873 all right as did Germany 1873 this predates a hundred years to the official US reneging on his Bretton Woods in 1973, 100 years later, about gold. 
So, perhaps silver really was the leading indicator by a century of what was going to happen to gold. All right? And now that they're both off of it, and we're purely floating on paper, we're reaching a crisis point. I mean, and a, 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 people don't understand the crises we're in now because we've never been in one like this and a collective label on the whole globe. While we may have localized bases, we've never had a global crisis on the same problem. And that's what we're having. We're having a global crisis with localized reactions to it. All right? And um, Martha and I are from the United States, and we see it. it's different to us. I, I mean, Judy told us this morning that she can go down to Perth Mint and pick up some coins, you know? And we can't do that in the United States. I mean, you go up there and you type in Kitco coin shop, realtor shop, go, Krugerrand, zero. Maple Leafs, zero. So, zero. They're out of, out of inventory. Out of inventory? I mean, what the heck? How can you be out of inventory when you're buying and selling for a business? What business are you in? Or where's your business going? Why are you out of inventory? All right? And this is really what we're, what we're seeing here. Now, why silver may be the leading indicator for the backwardization of gold, all right, or silver, the canary in the gold mine. You know, I've looked at it, and it, what they share in, both silver and both gold are in declining production. There is a greater demand, and has been for years, than the mines to replenish this. All right. With gold, it's approximately 2,000. I, you know, when I was looking at it, it was 2,500 metric tons a year produced. And I was just talking with a friend of mine, and he says the, the figures that he has now is closer to 1,950 metric tons. All right. The demand for gold was 4,000 tons a year. So you have a shortfall of 40%. And as I made it said in my book, I said if this were bread, you wouldn't be able to buy a loaf. All right. I mean, it would be so expensive, they'd become smaller and smaller and smaller you know, and the price would be going up and up, and this is gold. My God, you would think the opposite is true. If, if the natural thing, if you have a declining production and a growing market, you would, if this is gold, this is money. This is money. And you know the people around money. It would be huge, but it isn't. Why? It's because who's got the overhang, all right? Who has the overhang in gold are the central banks. They've been selling into the market, suppressing the price of gold. Now, oh, we're, we're, we're getting our assets. We're getting liquid. All right? We're getting liquid. I mean, my God. If my dad had all this gold, and he's telling the family at the yearly reunion that we just sold off 40% of gold because we want to be in liquid assets, he would be removed <laughs> as the executive of his own estate. I mean, the rest of the family would throw him out. It wouldn't happen. All right? But this is what they're doing. So it isn't. They're not getting liquid. They, are, they have been ever since they've st started this charade, and all the governments have been trapped into this. I mean, this is the, 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 the interesting thing about it. The, the, the French naturally were opposed to, they were gold boys. Jacques Roof, I don't know, I, I know I pronounced his name wrong. He was legendary in central banking in, in the 1960s, 1970s. Legendary, you know? And, and, and when, when, they cut, when we cut him off, with you, we, yeah, right, I was there. You know? <laughs> you know? When the U.S. Cut, you know, cut the link between the dollar and gold, the French were just, sh but when they did that, from selfish interests alone, from self-preservation, they had to go with it. They now became from, they became believers in gold to defenders of fiat currency. 
because they did not control whether their currency was fiat or not. The United States did. What happened at Bretton Woods is that the U.S. dollar was after that, we decided we were going to, because we had all the gold, we had 21,775 metric tons of gold. No nation in the history of the world had ever that amount of metric, of that amount of gold, ever. Ever. I mean, we had it. 20 years later, it was gone. What we had left, seven to 8,000 tons, was left only because we didn't pay our obligations. We owed thousands of tons more. All right? We just basically said, game's over. We're keeping what we have. We're not going to pay you. Now, you know, I read a paper by Kenneth Rogoff and Carmen Reinhardt, and they're brilliant people. And they, there was a paper on sovereign defaults. And they said the U.S. has never had a sovereign default. <laughs> I mean, my God. I mean, maybe in a classical sense, you know, they didn't have a sovereign because they kept paying down their debt, all right, with paper or their, what they owed. But in terms of defaulting on a, a, a sovereign default on an obligation, this was huge. This, went to, this was so at the heart of the matter that it went over their heads, or they cleverly decided to ignore it. Or if they wanted to point it out, he wouldn't be a professor, he wouldn't have been a professor at Harvard. You know, and he wouldn't have been chief economist at the IMF later. Alright, you, you don't say the emperor is naked and stay in his employ. <laughs> All right, and so we've got a situation like that, and and that's why it's so hard to read and to tell where we are, where it, it is, and why is it happening the way it is. All right, and to me, the, one of the most important words in in analyzing what so is the word intent. Look at the parties and look at their intent, and we rarely do. We just oh here you are here I am we're in a transaction or I know you and and we just take it as face value. Well the face is, man it makes pancake look like nothing. Looks like plastic surgery look like nothing. All right, but if you understand the intent of the parties, it starts to fall into place. It starts to become clear why they're operating as they are. All right, and the fact that they're so different than you and I that makes that makes it even more opaque. Because th their intent and why they're there is very different than why we are here. All right, we're economic apostates. We're on the edge. We're seeing this, and we, we're we're the non-believers. All right, and it is er in everybody's position in the game to be believers, including the French central bank. I mean, I don't know if they're different. I'm sure they're different than they were, you know, 40 years ago when Mr. Roof was, you know, their, their legendary head. You know, now they're, I'm sure they're paper boys. You know, they, they, they're not going to hire a gold man. You know, he just was tossed out with, with the bath and baby water. A central banker, yet he truly believed in holding, holding to the, the truth, which is gold. And, and there was nothing they could do about it. But once you see who's on the other side, who's running the game, and why they're doing it, it all begins to fall into place. And it's a terrible place it's falling into, and we're falling with it. But this, the thing with gold and silver is this. The reason why gold has stayed out of backwardization is because the central banks have been selling into, selling their, their tonnage, vast tonnage in the market. When gold made a spectacular run a year ago at this time, it was to hit 1,033 in March. And I, you know, I'm not sure where it started, you know, because I really don't watch it. It's there. I buy it. I keep it. You know, I look at it, you know, but that's what it is. I, we hold our positions and, you know, and that's it. Um, and some people are in and out people, and Martha and I, we're, we're not. But we, when, the gold, when gold was making a spectacular run uh, from, I think, in the 700s, it's got to be up to 1,033 in March. At that time, the Swiss National Bank, got to love those Swiss. Boy, you know, got to love those Swiss. This is, this is the power of paper. The power of paper 
has bought only not only off politicians and governments, it's bought off the people with an instinctive belief in the very things that, that held the game together. I mean, if anybody believed in, in, in gold, it was the Swiss. All right, we all went to paper. The Swiss tried to hold the gold, and what happened is, is that their their currency became so expensive they couldn't sell a candy bar, they couldn't sell a Swiss watch, they couldn't sell a Swiss pen. It became so expensive, so they threw in the towel. And boy, did they throw in the towel! They went over to the other side completely. They were well paid to do it. Don't worry about it. Those paper boys, they print the paper. They print the paper. There's a reason why UBS and, you, and, and United you know, why they're there, why the, why the Swiss bank sold 22 tons of gold into a rising market last fall. Imagine what the price of gold would have been had they not sold 22 tons into that market as it was skyrocketing upwards. Here we are. Okay? So that determines what the gold market and the price of the gold market is central bank overhang over you know you know selling selling out of their store they're selling the people's patrimony they're selling their nation's wealth to keep the paper game going all right and they only have so much gold and the game is still going and we're very close to the end the difference is, is in regards to the silver market is that you don't have a huge overhang a governmental overhang except perhaps with the chinese and we we don't know the chinese aren't talking they never do not even to each other. I'm Chinese. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to talk, but compared to other people. But in ten. Uh, yeah, ten is there, and I knew it. All right. I knew it. And 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 so the thing with the silver is that you don't have. I, oh, this is terrible. I, it's horrible what we're talking about. I mean, it really is tragic. The U.S. did have silver stores. All right. When they stopped making silver coins. All right. In the 1960s. Ah, oh, it's horrible. I'm thinking now. Um, we we had still at that time millions of dollars of silver, 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 in, in our treasury. In um, 1961, the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, reversed 50 years of monetary policy and issued 20 million dollars worth of silver certificates. Not not Federal Reserve notes. Not paper backed by obligation, debt-based paper money. For the first time in 50 years. Under Kennedy's executive order, he directed the U.S. Treasury, which had his support. They were in, they like they knew what was going on. They wanted to do this too. They issued 20 million dollars of silver-backed U.S. money for the first time in 50 years. All right. Within months, John F. Kennedy was dead. All right. You can get mugged for your wallet because on the possibility he's got some coinage in it from somebody who wants it. But what he did is trillions of dollars were rolling. Trillions of dollars. John F. Kennedy's father, Joseph Kennedy, was adamantly opposed to the Federal Reserve. He knew what it was. He knew what it did to our country. I mean, I'm an American. And I come to you from a country that is so different than the country I grew up in. I was born in 1945. That nation is so different than the nation we are, we have become. It is extraordinary. And it's a tragedy, it's a national tragedy, that the nation does not even know yet. That's how tragic it is, all right? But John, John's father knew about the role of the Federal Reserve and what it played, and I'll get into it this afternoon. We've become a deadbeat, we've become a debtor, because when you issue debt-based money over time, you're just gonna have more debt, all right? It becomes harder to juggle. And Uncle Sam only has two arms. 
All right, and, and it's huge what has happened. But he issued the silverback paper out of the treasury, and he was dead within months. His brother, who was just as opposed to the Federal Reserve, was killed even before the nomination. Oh, some strange guy, just like some strange guy killed his dad, his brother. Strange people, uh, we don't, you know, whatever. Had a couple investigations into it, realized it was all a sham, nobody believes it, but no, nobody can do it. And it doesn't matter. Nobody can do it about it. We are all in a car not of our making, driven by a driver not of our choosing. In a world we had no idea we were coming into. But there's a reason we're here, and I think there's a reason we're all here today. And these aren't bad reasons, but it's it's it's, it's very very critical where we're at. So the silver, they, the government's. What happened after Kennedy? After it was Kennedy, one of President Johnson's first act to succeed Kennedy was to roll back the executive order, recall every one of those twenty dollar bills, and sell the silver out of the treasury. Gone. We cannot do a silver back in any denomination now, because they made goddamn sure you couldn't do it again. All right. Now I didn't know LBJ was a monetary theoretician. You know that old boy from Texas <laughs> held his dog up by the ears. You know I didn't know at '97 he thought, man, you know, uh, you know, I, I think we ought to sell the silver today. What do you think, Ted? Well, that's a good idea, LB. You know, and we sold the silver. <laughs> no, that's what he did. That's what he did. So you've got a situation. If you've got a developing monetary crisis set in motion by these folks, and it's getting worse. It's getting really bad. And so the difference between silver and gold in terms of backwardization is that the reason why it's still a positive contango in gold is that the central banks are still selling it into the market to keep it positive. All right? Because what silver and gold really are they're thermometers. They're thermometers. All right? And, you know, I've been listening to the professor for years, and i got to say, he is so much smarter than me that my brain power was only able to understand that he was speaking the truth, not quite understanding what the truth was or its significance. All right? But what he said, and why I realized he said you have to open the mint to gold, open the mints to gold and silver, is that it gives, it gives the people an alternative to paper. If they see the value of their paper disappearing as a natural, instinctive move, they're going to go to where it's less, where, they, where it's safe. All right? That's the gate that the governments don't want you to go through. They want to keep you in paper. Now, why would your government want to keep you in paper? Because your government is owned by the bankers. I'm sure most of you here vote. You have a privilege to vote. But who are you voting for and what do they represent? I just came from the United States. The bill, and you know, Americans don't think. They just don't think. They really don't need to tell we don't think. I don't have to tell you we don't think. You're going to look at us and go, my God, what are they thinking? What are the answers to this? Nothing! We're not thinking. All right? But they, that $700 billion bailout bill, TARP. TARP, oh, put a cover over the problem. TARP! That's a wonderful cover. Cover it up. That's what it is. Cover it up with a TARP, plastic TARP. Okay? It had the it, Americans hated it. They they knew the bankers had been screwed. They, 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 we, we're not dead yet. We're just dumb. All right. The Rasmussen poll said there was 11 percent opposition to the TARP poll. I mean, for it, their poll showed that 11 percent of Americans wanted it. 11 percent. It's pretty close to 10. 
You know, eleven percent, not yeah, somewhere undecided. They know, but only it was only supported by eleven percent of the U.S. population. That's a phone poll. That's a lot of opposition. All right, from a populace that doesn't think, read, or you would think care. You know, but that's a very low levels of support for a huge bill. Who supported the TARP bill was the President of the United States, the leaders of both political parties, the leaders of the House, the Senate, and representatives, and both political candidates. Now, if you were looking for some votes, it seems to me you could have said, hey, I'm against this thing, and swung it in your favor. Especially when the, the, the vote, you know, your swinging was six five five percent All right? You could swing it, come in your favor. But no one did. Because they're owned. They're both owned. All right? By the same people that have brought you that little piece of paper that you call money. That piece of paper is not money. That piece of paper is a government-issued coupon with an expiration date written in invisible ink. <laughs> and the fact that you're all carrying around and go buy a sandwich this afternoon is that it doesn't change what it is. Martha and I, we, we bought some euros because we're going to Europe next year, next month and the dollar was abnormally high. Yeah. <laughs> now let's lock in some euros. So we went down, went to Travelex, and sitting on their little cover was due to financial volatility, today we are not buying Argentine pesos, Brazilian reals, Icelandic krona, you know, and a couple other things. Wow! That's stunning. We were in, we were in, we were in Argentina two months ago. We were out of can, you know, of our Argentine money, you know. Why buy it back? Because we're going back, so we keep these cans of money floating around on our dresser, you know, for the time we go back there. And we had a can. And if I took that can down to Travis, they wouldn't give me anything for it that day. That's scary. That's where we're at now. Okay, so you see we're in the middle of a game where the governments are trying to keep this thing going. Not trying, they're doing a good job, but it's, it's got an end game. They're able to control the gold contango more than the silver because they don't have silver. Alright, they have gold and they've been quite successful at it. And because they're the ones on the other side of the table still propping it up, You've got gold still more positive than silver. They can't control silver. They can do a lot of things. They can go in the futures markets. They can manipulate. They've got the bullion banks behind them. They're doing everything they can. But here we are at a point where it's almost into backwardization. In fact, it is in backwardization, truly, at the local level in the United States. All right. So silver is the leading, is the is the canary in the gold mine, and the gold mine is it's about to collapse. All right, so we, and we, ha we see evidence, we have evidence, it's going on right now in front of us. All right, so this is where we are, and it's, it's a ter terrible situation. It makes me sick to think about it, but it doesn't change it. You know, it's like, you know, I used, I used to say years before when I started looking at this, it's like working for the CDC, and, and you hear about this thing going on in San Francisco, they call it Gaty, but you're not quite sure about it, and then all of a sudden the guy in the next lab down the hallway figured out this is a virus. You, oh my God, this is a virus. This is what it is. So you take a little flight out to San Francisco and there's the guys and all the good looking guys. And you know, I remember I was walking down because I used to live in San Francisco. Yeah, it was so, these guys are so good looking. I held my stomach in out of pure insecurity. <laughs> you know, just like, you know, I didn't want to look, you know, like my stomach was sticking out, you know. And here we are. 
You know, in the last year, Martha, I've been in London, we've been in Hungary, we've been to Argentina, and, and we're walking around and we see these people and we know that we're at the end. It's like being in San Francisco in the early 80s and knowing that virus is going to take it down. It's going to take, it's going to change their lives forever. And this is what's happening with our monetary systems. All right. This is why we're here. This is why the few of us, and there's a few of us, and you, I know you all have the same experience in your families. Here you come, and they sort of, uh, when's he going to talk about that gold and silver shit again? Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're talking, you're, you know, the relatives have money. Oh, my gosh, are you telling me to sell my house? Oh, jeez, you know, I just, you know, people move away from you. You know? Everyone has that experience. I don't care who you are, what country you're in, you have that experience, and this is what's going on. We are watching something extraordinary happen. We're watching the end of system and the beginning of a new one. And um, I think really what the thing is, is that you've got the governments on the other side, that silver is the leading indicator because of who's on the other side of the fence. All right, and it's pushing, pushing, pushing up against it now. We're here at a critical tipping point, And this is where we are, folks. And we all know where we're going. I mean, some of us more than others know where we're going. And the truth is, whether you know it or not, we're all going to end up there, whether we know it or not, and we've never been there. So what I want to do is I want to turn the rest of this uh, time on this front of the subject and, and have um, Tom Zabo, who is, Tom is the guy on the basis. He's been looking at it in a highly technical view. He's a former auditor, and he brings that skill set to this very complex system, you know, to an area that the Professor Fekete looked at out of curiosity and thought, maybe there's something going on here. You know, and then one of my things is that, you know, in, in, in discoveries, in, in scientific discoveries, what they found out is that very little discovery is done in, in people just going on a certain path. Most discoveries are made from people from a discipline outside the field crossing over into another field and seeing something that the people in the field couldn't see the, the before. And I think that even though it's been to the professor's detriment that he's been iced out of the monetary, you know, tenure profession. One, they couldn't have sold him. They would have cut you off in your... They would have, you would have gotten a notice from the university. Dear Professor Begate, we've cut off your pension. <laughs> we see what you're saying, all right? There have been phone calls made, all right? <clears throat> but because he wasn't in the field of economics, he was a mathematician, and he saw what was going on, he was able to make that thing about the pay. Nobody else has no one else has done that. With my kind of economics, you couldn't make a living. You understand? <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. You don't make a living standing out there and saying in truthful honesty, that guy has not gotten any clothes on. All right? They've got monitors along the way. They've got cow control. And you can sit there and go, he's naked. And pretty soon, you're going to draw a crowd. And it's not the crowd you want. You know? And, and it's, 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 and it's and, and, you know, the, the downside of him not having the audience that he deserves for speaking the truth in these times is that he's been safe enough because the crowd has been rather small. I mean, I was just talking with this gentleman here about Martin Armstrong. It's one of the most tragic stories. You can Google Martin Armstrong. I caught him right before he disappeared off the, off the map and was, and it was held in U.S. federal custody longer than any man ever on contempt charges. All right. This is the man who called to the day the top of the Japanese Nikkei in 1989. Called it to the day. All right. Boom, 38,000. Where's the Nikkei now? Now 7,800. You know, took 13 years to go down to 8,300. Recovered to 14,000. Now below that. You know, below 8,000 now today. All right. This is Martin Armstrong. 
I used to watch this guy. Like, wow, how did he do it? I presented, you know, my book, which some of you have bought. And it, I talk about my thing with Martin Armstrong. Because I presented this paper before it was a book at this group called the Positive Network. And, and, and I was, it was, was going to present it on March 1st, and on the night of February 26th, I'm reading Rick's, rickackerman.com. I don't know if you, any of you are familiar with him, but this guy is quick, he's good. Martha and I spent a whole lot of money just just see what he's doing. It wasn't magic. You know, he was far too quick for us, it would, but it was worth it just to see what he was doing. Stunning. He, his, his timing was incredible, so we keep, we keep track of him. And here it was on February 26th, and he mentions Martin Armstrong. I go, Martin Armstrong, that's my boy. You know, what's happening to him? I knew he was in jail. You know, what's he done? And I found the paper he had written in 1999 that I had never seen before. The paper in which he'd explained the methodology for his predictions. And I tell you, I was stunned. Because what he had done was something amazing. He went back and he said he went back and he, and he took the crises in 1929 and he went like back. Two, three hundred years, because there's financial crises. Financial crises are like pimples; they're always gonna be there. All right, they're always gonna erupt at the worst time. The they're they're coming up. All right, and so he went back there. He did, you know, crisis here, the the tulip bubble, the blah blah blah, the, the the inflation of this, the blah blah. blah went back, okay. And then what he did is that he you know with a three hundred year time span and with divided by the number of crises. You know, this is something. He didn't take some algorithm and do some derivative magic and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No. He took the time, divided it by the number of crises. He came, what is it, 10 points? What is it? 8.6. 8.6. 8 .6. .6. Had to divide that into months. You had to figure out days. Yeah, I mean, that's what he did. And he went, my God. They started lining up. You know? And he's telling you. You're reading this and you go, my God. Look what he did. It lined up. And then what would you do? What would you do if you were Martin Armstrong had taken 200 years of history and divided by the number of financial crises and it lined up? I think the next thing you do is you go forward. <laughs> All right? You'd go forward. And one of those forward dates was the day the Nikkei collapsed, started its downward path. Wow! Well, here I am in 2007, February 26, reading Martin, you know, reading Martin Armstrong's paper for the first time, and he says that the next turning point is February 27th. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was reading this February 27th because it was right after midnight. <laughs> February 27th. Holy smokes, that's today. <laughs> All right, February 27th. What happened on February 27th? is nothing compared to the swings that happened today. But it was something then. The Dow Jones dropped by over 500 points to recover 449, down 449. Whew. Wow, something's going on. There he is. So he did it, he called it the day, and the boy's been in jail ever since. All right? On what pretext? Contempt. Because they've accused him of something and he cannot get to the documentation to prove that it happened because it no longer exists. So therefore they're accusing him of uh, withholding it. So all these legal arguments, and by the way, his lawyer has been murdered. And that was in uh, Vanity Fair, the murder of his lawyer. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story, and I hate it. It turns my stomach. I hate the fact that John F. Kennedy was killed months after he issued the silver certificate. I hate it. It turns my stomach. Lincoln created the greenback. 
and was assassinated. Which is debt-free, no. And he was also murdered. Yes. Now, trillions are at stake. <laughs> we have these little bits of paper in our pocket, all right? And the professor has Florence in his, which I know he's in there watching, all right? But he's also a Canadian citizen, so I know he's got stuff over here, too. So he's got to watch two things, all right? And here we are. Here we are on this day, heading into, into tomorrow, which is going to be different than today, and it's what it is. And uh, I'm glad all of you are here because it makes this kind of dialogue possible. And we're, it's still on. And uh, I, I should have given you more time, Tom, but uh, this is the guy. It all. He's still <laughs> ah, is, yeah, he's right about that, too. But this is the guy. This is, yeah. this is the guy, Tom. Well, I think, I think maybe what makes sense is uh, we've heard your sort of theory on why, and I think mine is somewhat similar, actually, now that I've heard yours, but maybe we can hear the professor on why you think that uh, silver would be the canary and the monetary mine, gold mine, mm. whatever it is. Well, first of all, I want to make Excuse that clear. Me. Can I just interrupt you about that? The photo, this one? This one. What that one? And the book. And the book. He's going to see if you know this stuff without notes. <laughs> <laughs> In the beginning, there was the coal mine, and they took the canary down the coal mine to give them an early warning in case these uh, toxic gases started coming and uh, the, the canary sensed it long enough time before it could do damage to humans. Of course the canary died as a consequence. Now this is how the <laughs> silver canary comes into the gold mine. Uh, but really what it is is the monetary system which is uh, in a, a very advanced state of disintegration. And uh, we are looking for an early warning system which will give us enough time to escape from a death trap. And uh, I think it is my suggestion that the silver basis, the silver permanent backwardation is going to be the early signal. In other words, it's a gold crisis basically, but the advance warning will come from silver. If you want me to uh, give you a scientific justification for that, I, I throw up my hands. I, I can. It's a kind of uh, intuitive thing. But uh, we heard uh, some reasons which I certainly would consider, such as the uh, um, that um, silver is the uh, is uh, has been demonetized before gold has. And as a consequence, there is less uh, stored silver in government walls. Governments are vulnerable. Go governments are naked, uh, short, or the emperor doesn't have a clothes. Whereas, uh, as far as gold is concerned, they still have a respectable amount of uh, store of gold and they are trying to use it to uh, postpone the evil day 
and then there are many other things. So all this led me to say you're you are watching for the last contango in Washington, and that means the silver backwardation. When silver contango is never ever to come back in terms of the gold price, that's it. So well, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I have to disappoint you. <laughs> oh, you're not disappointed. No, 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 I was just wondering what you're, yeah. you know, if, if uh, there's something else. Um, then you would add to that. No, not much. Perhaps in the discussion it will come out. Yes. Darrell, could you please estimate for us your personal opinion about how much unencumbered gold the U.S. government still <laughs> owns? The U.S. officially, we started, we, come on, my goal. <laughs> the U.S. started in 1949 with 21,770 tons of gold, all right? When the U.S. went off the gold, I mean, practically, they clearly went off in 73 when they officially said that it was over, but the, Nixon closed the gold window in 71. Uh, I, I took out my crummy little calculator and my crummy little mathematical mind. This is the man with the mathematical mind, right? I got a little crummy fake one up here that sort of can sort of add and sort of subtract. But by my calculations, we had, um, the United States said they had around 8,700 tons. Got to think with the word. My calculations, I thought, oh, man, we need to down about seven. We got, we got something down there. But who knows how much is there? They call it deep storage. They got a thing called deep storage, all right? And on top of that, they have not allowed a public audit. Now, they have allowed audits, but not public audits. Now, we, we know what they do to the CPI. We know what they do to that. But what they really did is they owed approximately 30,000 tons of gold at the time that they shut the gold window. I mean, we were in backwardization then. We couldn't cover. We owed gold. And we wouldn't give out any more of what we had. Now, what we've got left. Now, that's a very interesting. You know why? Just this morning. What's, you know, because your question goes, what's the U.S. going to do? How much gold does the United States have? They're not... Dumb's the wrong word. All right? They got some smart people thinking. They play war games. The CFR does this thing. You know, what's going to happen? How, where are we going to end up? And they're just, you know, they're, they're thinking a lot more about this than we are. Okay? But they have a different point of view. And I think what your question goes to is, what is the, how much gold do they have? And perhaps what is the United States doing about it? All right? I heard it. A terrible thing this morning. <laughs> My terrible morning. A call from an associate of mine, and he's very, very well. He's into this gold thing. He was one of the gold major gold traders in North America. He knew, in fact, how I knew he was sort of real. We were talking, and I mentioned Ferdinand Lips, who, who the professor won the the, the award for his bank, Quither Gold. All right, gold trader out of out of Switzerland, Bank Lips, and and he knew him. He'd done a lot of trades with him. You know, he was on the other side of the trade, and he said a major amount of the European trade was in gold was coming out of Ferdinand Lips, you know, through him. And he mentioned this morning, because I told him we had a guy here from Perth Mint, what was going on, and what our group was looking at, and stuff like that. And he said, you know, he said he's heard rumors that the United States has a forward contract for 20 years worth of gold, or 100 years worth of gold. Huge, a huge forward contract. All right, through the through the treasury, and I can't say this is true. I don't know if it's true, and he isn't saying it's true. But he heard now has heard rumors, and this is boy is in the, is the gold field. He's in the business. We're, there were, there were, between him and another person, five tons metric tons delivery here, premiums. You know, it was real stuff. 
okay, that didn't get consummated because they didn't move fast enough and there were people in line waiting for that gold and picked it up and it was gone. All right? But this is what, in the cage, out of the cage. I don't know, you know that stuff, in the cage, out of the cage. This is the first time I'm hearing this stuff. All right? So they're talking about this. But he was the same person, he said, listen, perhaps you might ask him if he's heard about this rumored um, two, 200 ton, 2,000 ton forward position of the United States through the Mint. All right? And I went, wow, if that's real, because they can print money. They can full faith and credit. Well, that's all they got is your faith in, in their credit. They really print money. They could do that. So maybe they're covering themselves in the backside. This is pure rumor on that, which would suck all the gold out of the system. All right, bring it back to them. You know, they own the exchanges, basically. I mean, who's going to stand up to them? They still got a AAA rating on their bonds because they can print paper. All right? And we're still, we're midst of this game. But that changes the dynamic significantly. It puts them in a position, you know, of, of, of not being victims of the game that they even created. But who knows? These are just rumors floating around. What we know is, is that gold is disappearing. The United States will not allow a full public audit of their gold. They've got this thing called deep storage. They, they've got it, people looking at it. They've got excuses for it. All right? And they've got a thing where the IMF said that at least gold still counts as gold on deposit. And that's real good. You know, I wish my bank would let me get away with that. All right? And so it's all charades, and the people who keep the rules are in the charade. They're not going to say the emperor has no gold. So how much, the, how much gold the emperor has, or how much clothes he has, really, that's a really good one. Does he have any You're asking, does he have briefs? What do you think, Daryl? <laughs> this guy really down to that loincloth? You know? Does he got you know, does he got a loincloth brief, a cannon bath towel, you know? Or has he got secret service people standing in front of him so you can't tell? <laughs> you know? I think it's the latter. I can't I don't know how much they got. I know that, that, that their official figures are around eight thousand, you know, eight thousand so many tons in story deep story. How much is there? How much we don't know. I you know, I I know Volker, people admire Volker for the the, the bravery he showed in, in 1981 for slamming up the interest rates of 21% driving me out of business <laughs> but he did a good thing for the country he really did but yeah, I went I went bankrupt at the time and um, and and he here's this man who, who was in the game and he said um, we learned too late that we should have managed gold more aggressively alright this is one of the boys this is one of the boys and so they know maybe you should have addressed that question to Paul Right, you know, or, or Alan, uh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, successor of Paul, who went public with his comments that the U.S. should not get rid of its uh, gold reserves because there could be a war when you won't be able to secure military supplies against anything but gold. And you probably also know that uh, in the, during the Vietnam War, American pilots were issued emergency ration, that was uh, food, but also gold coins. Yeah, British they, sovereigns, right? Yeah, British yeah. sovereigns, yeah. Uh, very few people remember that, but this is a fact. So, so, uh, and, and I am amazed that Alan Greenspan made this remark in public. Well, he also said, and I have this right up here, is the, uh, that controversial comment about central banks stand ready to lease gold in increasing quantities should the price rise back in 1998. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people take that to mean that that's an admission that the central banks at all times, you know, tend to depress the gold price, but 
Uh, I have a slightly different take on it, which was that this is a warning, in effect, to people that could take delivery of large amounts of gold not to do it because, you know, we will swamp you with gold before you have the chance to drive it up, the price up to some threat. level. A it's, a th it's an open threat, it is what it was. And um, the, the interesting thing from the perspective of the canary in the gold mine is it kind of plays into that because, um, you know, what the you know, backwardation, uh, ultimately as we speak of it in the last contango, means that not only us little people are, you know, not willing to, to, to sell gold, and in fact we're all buying, but the big guys are also doing that. So mm -hmm. this threat was not made to the little guy, it was made to the big guys. So um, if we're going to have a movement in the direction of, you know, hoarding monetary metals across all levels of uh, the, the monetary uh, sort of uh, system, uh, you would think that maybe it starts with silver. But, you know, then you have the Hunt Brothers, though, which kind of goes against that because that's the one example where essentially an attempt to do that was busted by the government. Um, whereas there was a threat by Greenspan that you shouldn't do this, there was an actual, uh, an effective sort of a takings, right, that was done with the Hunt Brothers when they tried to do that in 1980. Um, so it probably will not come in the open from someone that declares that they're doing this. but. Um, it'll, I think it starts exactly the way it's doing now with, with you know, us small guys and eventually, you know, you start having uh, people with real money doing this in secret um, and I think they can do it with silver um, much better than they can do it with gold, especially with the threat and especially since, you know, this plays back into what Daryl was saying that the central banks still do have pretty significant amount of gold. They could, if they want to, you know, put 500 tons out here, a few hundred tons there, and in effect try to uh, forestall uh, for you know pretty significant amount of time uh, this this sort of uh, process uh, taking place. Something came to my mind during this discussion, which might be relevant, <laughs> and that's the question of a corner. Corner is an attempt to uh, buy up the supply so that you have a monopoly and dictate the price. And that's what the Hunt brothers were trying to do. Now, the question is, if you want to corner gold or you want to corner silver, where is your better chance? Now, you said the Hunt brothers example showed that they don't have a good chance uh, cornering silver. In, in, in the open. Yeah, oh, in the open. Wow. You've got to differentiate that. And yeah. I think they also went, you know, when they couldn't obtain enough, uh, you know, physical silver, they went to the COMEX and started buying up the contracts. That's right. Uh, but they I wanted they, to take delivery. But I think they were, uh, I, uh, in some ways, well, yeah, eventually, but they didn't take that much delivery of, of any of these futures contracts. But you know, I think they, well, they, 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 they changed they, the rules. They didn't they did, allow but, them but, to But I think my point is that they almost got too greedy or they got too ahead of themselves. And had they yeah. just simply, you know, kept buying physical silver, you know, somewhat on the slide, but not, I mean, you know, um, as it as it became available, you know, over time, I think they would have gotten further, and it would have gone mm. away from the idea of trying to corner the market. Because if you're going to corner something, you want to use leverage, obviously, mm. and that's what the futures provided to them. And I think I don't think without the futures, it would take them longer to accomplish the same goal that they use as a defense, you know, in court to say that well, no, we were actually buying silver to protect our 
uh, our wealth or you know our purchasing power <laughs> or, or our empire here, which which is a good reason to do that. If you're buying physical silver, it's not as good a reason if you're buying COMEX futures contracts. Here's a question for you: Is Warren Buffett a latter-day Bunker Hunt? Ooh. He's sold, he sold his positions, but and you know now he's a big proponent of America will come through this because it always has. So I think he's playing a party line. If he is one, then he's doing it in secret. He's he's maybe learned a lesson. But at one point he was openly buying silver. At one point he sold us, and then. But but that he made a mistake openly buying, I think, because it drove the price up. In fact, the reason partially the tri price was dri driven up is because his wonderful brokers let it be known to some of their friends and family that <laughs> yeah, Warren's buying. Yeah, he's big <laughs> orders, and so was, so was, you know the price had been chased up. So he actually made most of his purchases. I think some people said five. I heard that his average purchase price was like seven high, in the high sevens, and it was pretty close where it topped out. So but he actually was taking advantage of it. Well, so he is a, a, more, a you know uh, sort of a latter day version. Uh, he wasn't very successful in his first attempt. But then he made the announcement that he's out of silver now. The question is, can we believe him? That's right. Is he saying the truth? Perhaps he's continue buying. I don't know. I'm just asking. My guess is probably not through Berkshire Hathaway, but you know personally, he, personally, he could be. He would be in silver. He may be. Um, it's, it's hard to tell, but if I if I was someone like that, I certainly would not announce this given the <laughs> experience with the hunts. I certainly wouldn't be doing it necessarily through, through futures, you know. Um, and you know, it's, yeah. yes. What's going on with Barrett Gold? Oh, Barry. Here's, yeah, you know, this is this is a man who, you know, Barrick. Barrick, see, and, and it's not just Barrick. It's like silver resource. I mean, this is this is this is deep stuff. All right, and I have a tendency to go paranoid. <laughs> and 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 but you know, Barrick is the largest gold producer in the world. Okay, so they have they own more of the gold. All right. And, and, and the professor has a long history with Barrick. He was pointing out that, hey, you guys, because he had shares in him. He, you know, he's a smart guy, and he's, he's going towards retirement, you know, and he's going, listen, this is, you know, I'm going to buy shares in Barrick Gold Mine, and all they help me, you know, my nest egg will get bigger. Well, what they did is they broke open his eggs. They sold them. They stole him. He went there and his eggs, all of a sudden, they were losing value. They get smaller and smaller and smaller. So I had more than Barrick shares. I had Barrick leaps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so he was playing on the, on the, up, on the upside. Okay. Barrick, you got to realize it's intent and who these p players are. They, as, as just like we're sitting around trying to figure out, well, should we sell, buy silver? What are we doing? You know, how are we in our little, you know, our little domain to, to stay afloat, you know, and, and not be collapsed by this thing? The boys at the top figure out, they have a whole different view than us, all right? And so they look around and they know gold and silver are, are in play, are, 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 are real. They're real. fact, they're trying to control that thermometer. So they basically cut a deal with Barrick. Barrick is in the boys' club, as was Angle Gold Shanti. Wasn't George Bush Senior? Oh yeah, yeah, he's director of Barrick. Okay, and 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 they and, and then on the backside, the U.S. gave Barrick absolute carte blanche with a large gold holding in in Nevada. You know, just totally. You know, they called, made a phone call. You know, approve this thing, cheap. You know, give it to him. So Barrick is in the bag with them. You got to realize that. You know, they're, they're, all this stuff about the largest gold producer. I mean, your broker may b believe it and try and sell it to you, but you should know that about Barrick. You should know that about Angle Gold Ashanti. You should know that these people are carrying huge 
forward huge positions where they've forward sold their production at below cost and they and but they're 15 years out can you believe that 15 years out because they figured, well, maybe if it's like a, if it's going to blow up, then it's come down, and we'll make it through the blow up and pay off with cheap. You know what? Fifteen years out, they committed to sell the production. This is not only unheard of; it's, it goes to the heart of the matter: who these people are, who they're in bed with, why things are the way they are. Now, again, I may be conspiratorial, you know, but I just saw Brutus walking by and talking with some friends, so. They've gotten rid of most of their hedges, though, haven't they? Except they got rid of some of them. They got rid of some. They're trying to buy down. They're just getting away from them. But they they got they, they didn't get rid of most of them. You know. Well, you know, they, I think the different. They got rid of all of their sort of straightforward sell, sale hedges. Yeah. Now what they have are these. I forgot what the name they use for them, but it's. Uh, it, it assume, they're saying it's assigned to a particular mine, and yeah, yeah. there's nothing to, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's one third of the total production over the 15 years, so there's nothing to worry about. It doesn't affect their other nine mines that are unhedged. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to say that if you're going to, you know, if you're going to value this company, you're going to value it based on, you know, okay, don't assign any value to this mine, but since all these other mines are unhedged, we should have, you know, we should have this unhedged value to us. But of course, you know. Things don't necessarily work that way when they, you know, once uh, hits the fan. <laughs> you had a question. There was a question down here. Did you have? Yeah. It just occurred to me that um, the question about um, the silver cornering silver didn't hasn't China always been the corner? Hasn't China always cornered the market in silver? But they have. China is a very interesting thing in this game. They're late to the table, to the paper table. They were really early to the paper. They invented the paper table. They had paper money in the year 1000. You know, and you know when Marco Polo went to China, he came back with the stories of what it was like. You know, all these people eating with sticks or something, you know, silks and stuff like that. What what the Europeans couldn't believe was they were, they used paper for money. They that they didn't believe that. They used paper for money. All right, and they had a, a history with it, 600 years, and then they they outlawed it. That you're never going to do paper again, and 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 they did. They were totally on on silver. You're right, China, not only in the West but in, in the East, but in the West, silver has been the monetary metal of choice. It always is, has been. The king's gold is the the, the 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 metal of kings. All right, but so the Chinese have had silver. They have a long history with it, but it's not in terms of cornering it. But the thing is, is the Chinese have now found themselves trapped in a paper game. All right, but they came to the game late. All right, their leverage into this game was, and you never knew before it happened whether it was going to catapult them and it catapulted them up. They became the sweatshop of the of the Fortune 500. All right, and they were able to do it so well and so quickly and adapt so quickly. They all of a sudden capitalism took all their capital, took it out of denuded the United States, denuded everyone, and threw it into China. And China has this quote wealth of paper money now. All right, because they're on paper, but they do have silver. And so my sense is that they're not as committed to the game as the Swiss, the British, the Americans, the Germans, the French are. They, they're committed to it because they're trapped in it. But they're not going to let loose their silver in it to save the paper game. I don't think. Uh, yeah. uh, the question is not whether the Chinese are cornering silver, but can the Chinese threaten with a credible corner, threaten the rest of the world? And I think that's the real question, because very often you don't have to carry the corner to the bitter end. Whew. It's uh, enough to He's right. that's threaten. Interesting. threaten. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, let me add another thing, which is which a lot of people don't talk about, but China, you know, is a large user of industrial metals, and silver does have an industrial metal component to it, and so there's something that says that if you try to corner and the price goes up, you're hurting your domestic industry, and the Chinese are all about helping, you know, their, you know, sort of, uh, the not, Employment, not, what did yeah. you call it yesterday? It's a non-cap, whatever the system is, it's a... Uh, well, I, it's been called the Stalinist capitalism. Right. So. So you know this this sort of concept, and you see this in copper, which actually they the the two times, but because I think now there was a, a actually what happened with copper in the last few months wasn't attempted corner again, but the Sumitomo scandal uh, back in the 90s um, had China playing a, a pretty major role in it, and interestingly, their role wasn't to try to profit from uh, you know sort of this I'm going to buy copper at 70 cents and we're going to corner it and then we're going to sell it at five or six dollars. What their piece of this was to to source enough copper for what they thought their demand was going to be, and they bought into this idea that now, you know, the price of copper is going to maybe be spiraling out of control. Um, you can maybe relate that to the silver market. So there's this sort of, I think, uh, resistance going two different ways. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, this would be a, a path, I guess, out of the whole monetary mess of holding two trillion in reserves that might go to zero, and so. You know, maybe you can offset this with your large silver holdings, but in the meantime, they have use for that silver, and if the price goes high, they're, you know, that this is a they don't have a lot of pricing power, so they, they the Chinese know. don't. No, well, because, I think they because, do. Uh, not, 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 not if you go to Walmart and you see that you know, oh. the, the, you know, oh, the toy sorry. that they sell that I'm they sold for a dollar to the U.S. is being sold for ten dollars. I mean, no, the no. person making the money off of it is the brander, not the person. I thought you meant pricing powers for silver is concerned. No, I'm, I'm saying as an input. Oh, okay. So, so if okay. the input price of silver, you know, or any of the other, you know, materials that go into making these finished products uh, increase, uh, you know, then they would have to either, you know cut their margins or have to try to pass the cost along and you know it's pretty difficult but, to do that in this world. But let me ask you the question, do the Chinese have a pricing power as far as silver is concerned? Because I'm very often tempted to say that the price of silver is set by the Chinese in very subtle ways and for the time being they want a low silver price but the day could come when they say that's it now we have purchased as much as we wanted at the lower price. Bingo, let's go. Right, right. I, I, th I think we're saying the same thing, uh, but, but my, my point to it is that they have a legitimate uh, reason beyond, you know, timing to have, you know, industrial costs be lower and mm. the input costs. I mean, silver. Well, they're into stockpiling while we're into just in time. Right, but part of their stockpiling truly is because they, they feel that the world has limited resources and this is why they're in Africa and all over the place trying to buy up everything because they see that they have a population that if they all reach the standard of living as the same as you know Western world, there's not going to be enough to go around. So of course you want to grab as much as you want to say something as you can. No, I want to ask the panel. We're saying oh, we're trying to wrap up, but yeah. sorry. <laughs>